This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Before we get into today's episode, we would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of this land. We pay our deepest respects to the elders, past and present, and to the next generation, who we hope to create a different future for. The best career advice that you are not getting is to invest. Hello and welcome to Your In Good Company, a podcast that makes investing accessible for everyone. I'm Maddie and as always I'm in some very good company with my co-host Sophie. Hello Maddie, coming up on today's show we have an expert view on I guess the year ahead in the stock market and how to know whether some of the biggest shares at the moment are fad or future. And the top shares to keep your eyes on in 2020. But before that, let's hear from Mads. We're in 2022. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) I'm still in 2020 in my head. I can tell you that right now. Mentally still in 2020. (laughs) (laughs) And the top shares to keep your eye on in 2022. (laughs) Well done. Well done. (laughs) But before that, let's hear from a YIGC community member. Show me the money, honey. Hi, my name is Ebony. I'm 29 years old and I'm a performer. I earn a variable income that changes month to month, but it generally ends up being between forty-one dollars and $43,000 a year. I started investing in February 2021 and set myself the goal of reaching ten dollars invested by the end of the year. Each week, I transfer at least 10% of my regular pay into my investment account and more if I have any extra money coming in that week. Currently, I'm invested in one individual stock and four ETFs. I own shares in Australian Ethical, and that has been my biggest profit so far, doubling in value since I first purchased it. I've also invested in four beta shares ETFs, Earth, Ethi, Asia, and Drug. Today, the total value of my portfolio is just over $10,100. And since I started investing, I've made a profit of $1,501.95. We've been talking so much about money goals, so it's awesome to hear how Ebony set herself up with the goal of 10K invested at the start of 2020. I did it too, 2020. (laughs) Start of 2021. My gosh, Maddie, you and me with our years today. (laughs) And was able to achieve it by the end of the year with some nice profits as well. Which leads us nicely into today's episode, looking forward to the year ahead. Today, we are welcoming Mary Manning to the show. Mary is a portfolio manager at Alfinity Investment Management with 25 years of experience. Her focus is on the technology and communication services sector, as well as the Global Sustainable Fund. Mary has worked in New York, Moscow and London and has a PhD in economics from the University of Sydney and an MBA from Harvard Business School. Mary, we are very excited to have you with us today. Welcome to your Ingo company. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, Mary, we always start in the same way by asking our guest, what is the best thing that's happened to you this week? Oh, that's a good question. Well, it's only Tuesday, so it's a short (laughs) week. But uh, as you know, 
school has gone back this week and I have a daughter who's starting high school. And so she started and she's in a new school and she's happy. So that's the best thing that's happened to me in the last two days. Oh, that's so exciting. They're growing up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think for a lot of parents in Australia who have had kids at home during the summer when it's work from home, um, it's a good thing that kids have gone back to school. And um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think I speak for a number of parents when I say that. Absolutely. Especially after the last couple of years. And Mary, if you could have dinner with anyone, who would it be and why? So I'll be honest with you. I listened to the episode that you did with Julie Bishop, and I think <laughs> she picked Vladimir Putin, who would also be one of my top picks, because with everything going on right now with Russia and the Ukraine and the impact that that could potentially have on global equity markets, I think he would be near the top of my list. So maybe Julie could come too, and we, <laughs> we could uh, kill two birds with one stone. I would also say um, Jerome Powell. Because, as you know, there's so much going on right now with the Federal Reserve and, um, you know, that's really going to impact the, the path of equity markets in the next 12 to 18 months. So I think knowing what's going on geopolitically and knowing what's going to go on with U.S. monetary policy would be really helpful. So those would be my top two people for right now. So both your dinner dates would be able to give you some kind of an inside scoop as to what's going to happen. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm very focused on markets right now. So very maybe strategic. I have a different answer at a different time, but for right now, those would be my two people. And if you could be a stock or company, who would you be and why? So if I could be a stock or a company, I think I would pick Apple. Uh, you know, Apple, as you know, prior to this recent sell-off, was a $3 trillion company, which is just amazing that a company, which, you know, started from somewhat humble beginnings, could grow to be a $3 trillion company. So I like that it's big and it's successful. It's also very high quality. I mean, the products that they sell are, are very high quality, and the products that they sell are also very useful. Um, I also like Tim Cook as a CEO. I think he's fantastic, both obviously as a leader and also um, a, you know, at a personal level and the leadership that he shows there. So um, yeah, if I could be a company, I think I'd be Apple. I saw a pretty crazy thing on social media the other day that talked about when Apple announced its results last week that it earned $1 million in revenue every minute in Q4, which is just like unbelievable to wrap your head around. But I have to say I contributed to that one million. <laughs> yes, exactly. Over Christmas, I know there's lots of people who they thought that there was pull forward in Apple during during COVID and no one was going to buy any more products. And then over Christmas, uh, clearly that wasn't the case. So that's a good uh, point, Maddie. Another reason I'd like to be Apple is because they're in an earnings upgrade cycle. So they reported earnings last week and they just knocked it out of the park. The stock was up 7%. Those are the kind of stocks we're looking for at Alfinity. So it fits very nicely with our process and the kind of stocks we invest in. So Mary, today we want to jump into a bit of a look forward into 2022 and get your opinion about, you know, the economy, how it's going to go, about certain industries and stocks. And we thought the good place to start would actually be the economy. So for context, we're recording this about six days prior to release. And we know that the RBA is actually meeting today. What are your thoughts about the economy at the moment or the market and the correction that's currently taking place? Okay, so there's quite a few things um, to comment on in, in that question. I guess in terms of the economy, it's helpful to look back and see what we've been through in the last two years, because it really has been a roller coaster. You had, you know, things were chugging along quite nicely before COVID. And then you had very, very steep drops, both in GDP growth and in the market in the early, you know, first quarter, second quarter of 2020. And then you had a massive recovery from an economic perspective. That was because there was so much stimulus pumped into economies around the world, both monetary policy. So most of the G3 or you know, G7 countries cut interest rates to, to zero or start a quantitative easing. 
So you had massive monetary stimulus, and then you also had huge fiscal stimulus. So of course, because of this, the economies recovered very, very quickly, and the stock market recovered significantly also. And then COVID sort of went away, but that stimulus was still there, particularly in America, even after that initial wave of COVID, you've had quite a few more stimulus uh, packages. And so I think the question is now, are we seeing overheating? And certainly if you look at the inflation in, in America, that seems to be the case where you have the last inflation print was around 7%, which is almost unheard Unbelievable. of yeah, in, in recent times. And of course, that's, you know, that's a, a year over year number. So once those weird year over year times even out, it will go back to you know, maybe two, 3%, but that's still quite a bit stronger than what we've seen in the US and other developed economies in recent times. So to answer your specific question, I think, um, first of all, at Alfinity, we don't make really big prognoses, like the market's going to fall 20% this year, so let's, let's be 50% cash, or um, you know, the GDP is going to grow at 7%, therefore we will orient our whole portfolio around there. What we're looking for is um, earnings leadership in stocks, but obviously what kind of stocks are, are exhibiting earnings leadership has a lot to do with, with macro and where, where markets are going. So I think for right now, certainly, I don't think there's any fund manager in the world that thinks that 2022 is going to have the same kind of positive returns that we've seen since the market bottom in March 2020. So like S&P 500 is almost up, you know, 95, 100% since that, that very bottom part. And, you know, that's obviously completely unsustainable. So not expecting that. Um, what we are seeing is sort of a change in, in earnings leadership. So during that whole um, COVID part, you saw a lot of companies that were beneficiaries of stay at home. So whether this is, you know, Netflix or Amazon or Zoom, these kind of companies, those kind of companies aren't doing that well anymore because you're moving towards more reopening plays and that that trend is, is in place. And then you're also seeing a sort of a shift towards more defensive because a lot of these growth stocks uh, have got very, very expensive. And I know you guys did a, a summer series looking at different ways to value stocks. And some of these stocks, like software stocks that were trading at 30 times price to sales and they have no earnings, there, there's no downside support. So they have done quite badly during this, this January market correction. So um, we're following earnings leadership, and that means very high quality technology and, and growth companies, and then also some defensives to balance out the portfolio. So, Mary, what do you think might be some of the biggest sort of triggers for either like improvements in what we're seeing at the moment or I guess sort of further negative market reactions over the next few months? So there's two things. One is earnings. So uh, as we've discussed before, and thank you for changing the time of, of the podcast, there's <laughs> a lot of earnings coming out. We are right in the middle of earnings season for US and, and European equities. And so you've actually seen some of these big companies totally drive the market. So Microsoft and Apple are good examples. So last week, you know, tech companies and NASDAQ and some of those more growthy oriented stocks um, were leading the market down. And then Microsoft came out with fantastic earnings and straight away NASDAQ futures turned straight around and Microsoft itself, because of its earnings, led the whole market higher. And then you saw that exact same thing happen later in the week when Apple came out with good earnings. And you know, these are trillion dollar plus companies so they can move the market. But I think for things to continue to go higher, you're going to need to see certainly the large cap companies in the US and Europe report strong earnings. And then, you know, ideally, some of the, the more mid cap companies also report strong earnings. I think if you have either this reporting season or next reporting season, you have companies that are reporting very bad earnings and people start to get worried that there's no growth left in these companies. I think that will be bad for the market. 
The second thing is obviously you need to watch monetary policy in the U.S. because the world has gotten, you know, it's sort of like the, the drug addict uh, <laughs> analogy is that the world has gotten used to really cheap money and the world has gotten totally used to QE. And we need to remember that, remember during the, the Trump presidency, he was very, very vocal in wanting interest rates to stay low because he wanted the market to be higher because it made his approval ratings go up. So for many years, we've been in this sort of cycle of, you know, monetary um, easing and easy money and people have gotten quite used to it. So I think the other thing that we need to look out for in the market is, is the pace of interest rate hikes um, by the Fed. Right now, what's sort of baked in is about four interest rate hikes. If it is more than that, that will probably be negative for the market. Or if it's at a faster pace, so if he's doing you know, 50 basis points at a time rather than 25, I think that could also be a negative. So those are the two things I'm watching, earnings and the Fed. And can you just explain for us, you know, for us living in Australia, why do the decisions that the Fed makes over in the US impact the Australian stock market so much? It's a great question, Maddie, because, you know, I did my PhD in economics in Australia. And, you know, when you're teaching, and I also um, worked as an associate professor at Sydney Uni. And when you're teaching, it's very, very focused on what's going on in Australia. And then when you start investing, actually, the, the thing that's sort of the, the tail that's wagging the dog is what happens with the US Fed. So I think there's a couple of reasons. One is, you know, the U.S. is still the largest economy in the world. By some measures, China has caught up, but certainly the U.S. from a stock market perspective and from an economic power perspective is, is the largest economy in the world. So what, they, um, what happens in America will have implications for, for the global economy. I think the second thing is, if you remember back to your, your uni economics, if you're having rising rates in, in one country and not in other countries, that can have an impact on the, the, uh, the currency of that country. So if you're getting a rising dollar in the U.S., which is what you've seen in the last, so say, week and a half, um, and you get weakness in other currencies, you, you may have noticed on Friday night the Aussie dollar went below 70 cents. Um, that will have implications for, for different countries uh, because of the FX. And the last thing is that with the exception of China, and we can talk about that a little bit later, the global economy is still quite correlated. So you've seen the U.S. go ahead and start to raise rates. Canada's raising rates. The U.K. is going to raise rates. The ECB is probably quite a bit behind, but at some point they may stop QE and raise rates also. The RBA, as you mentioned before, has a meeting today and we'll see what they do. But it's quite, um, you know, some countries often follow what the U.S. does. So that's why it's important for countries even outside the U.S. what the Fed is, is up to. I actually failed economics at uni. It was the only subject I ever failed. <laughs> it's a good point because when I was teaching, I had already done, um, I don't know, 10, 12 years of, of investment experience. And I would sit there looking at these lessons plan. They, they just send you the lesson plan. You don't get to make them up yourself. And I think this stuff is totally useless, a lot of it. For, <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, for, for actually investing and for understanding the world, there, there are better ways to teach it, you know, especially, especially microeconomics. Macro, I, I thought was okay, but micro, you know, supply, demand, and which way is the curve going and what to do. the one I failed, so. Yeah, it has nothing to do with investing, so don't worry. You're... I must agree. It's probably the subject at uni that I hated the most as well. <laughs> but Mary, I wanted to ask for Mads and I, like this, what's happening with the economy at the moment, it's really a, a bit of a first for us, especially the first time that we're also in the stock market. Have you experienced something like this before? I have, and it's one thing... Um, you know, I know uh, you have a lot of millennial listeners, and if I have one piece of advice to them, it would be to start investing earlier, early as you possibly can, because the more of these sort of cycles that you go through, you learn to identify things. And so, um, you know, in my life, I guess I started investing in the sort of late 90s, and that was before the tech wreck. 
So you had the, the big tech record where NASDAQ, um, you know, fell very, very sharply in, in the late 90s. And this is certainly not that kind of uh, market environment. But we were talking about this in our morning meeting before. And we said, you know, in the last 20 years, you've had the tech rec and you've had uh, the GFC. Those were the two really big, um, you know, times when the market fell very, very sharply. And then you've had other episodes in between there. You know, um, 2018 would be one example uh, where you've had just small market corrections because of interest rates. So we're saying, you know, is what, what has January told us? Is this another tech wreck? Is this another GFC? Or is this just another 2018 where you have rising interest rates and things, you know, you take a little froth off the top? And, you know, it's my personal view that this is, this is not a tech wreck and it's definitely not um, a GFC because those big sort of systemic risks that were in the economy and in the market at those times are not here right now. But the market is quite expensive and it is a little bit frothy. So I think that this sort of correction that we've seen in January is quite healthy. And, um, you know, we'll just, as I mentioned before, have to watch the, the pace of, of interest rate rises. But I think that I, I've seen, I, I've also seen big country specific economic crashes in my career because I did do emerging markets for quite a while. So I lived in Russia in the late 90s when that entire economy and, and market blew up. And the first time I worked overseas was actually during the Asian crisis in the late 90s in, in Korea. So I've been through a lot of blowups, and this does not feel like one of those to answer your question. This is a, a very sort of rational market correction based on a, a change in, in the interest rate environment. And so I think it's, it's healthy. It's somewhat comforting that you've been through like all these experiences, all these crashes, not that it was necessarily a good thing when you were living through it, but it's somewhat comforting for us to know that, first of all, this is a learning experience. And second of all, that the market has always recovered post these periods. Yeah, it can, it can be a fantastic learning experience. And especially um, when you're younger, like when I was working in Moscow, things were, were terrible and like all the expats sort of left and, and went somewhere. And if I'd been at a later um, stage in my career, I would have been a complete panic <laughs> because there wouldn't have been any deals. And I was working in investment banking, not investment management. Um, but, you know, I was I was 22 and I was like, well, this is interesting. I'm just going to sit here and, and figure out what happens and work on my business school essays and my <laughs> my uh, my GMAT during the day. And then, you know, it all worked out. So the, the more that you can, um, you know, get experience and, uh, you know, when when it's there's not a huge amount of skin in the game, it's not like you're uh, I, I think that's really, really helpful and it can help you later on in your career. We are going to take a quick break for our sponsors, but we'll be right back to discuss which stocks Mary has her eyes on for 2022. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
So, Mary, we've sort of discussed what is going on in the broader economy at the moment, but let's get into the nitty gritty a little bit more. What would you say are the three top industries that you have your eye on for the year ahead? So I would say uh, consumer and consumer discretionary in particular, uh, technology and financials. So those are the two, three sectors that I've, I've covered in, in my career. At Alfinity, we have a co-PM model. So um, there's four PMs that, that run the global fund, and we all have different sectors. So I cover consumer discretionary and then the part of tech that's uh, sort of communication services and internet. So like the, the FANG stocks minus Apple. Um, and then someone else covers financials and someone else covers the technology, hardware and software. But the reasons I think that those are the most important sectors, first of all, from the, the technology perspective, these are the biggest companies in the world. And as we discussed before, these are the companies that drive the U.S. market and a lot of other markets. So you need to um, have, a, have a good view on technology. And right now, you know, there's, there's thousands of technology companies. The ones that we like the most are probably the high quality technology companies. So Google, Apple, Microsoft, obviously companies that you and all of your, your listeners will have heard of before. And the reason is they're all in a very nice earnings upgrade cycle and they're very high quality companies with high quality management, but they're not that expensive. So getting back to PEs, you know, all those three companies are trading at anywhere between like 22 and 28, 29 times price to earnings, which is not that expensive if you think about the quality of company that you're getting the return on equity that those companies have, and then the, the growth profile of those companies going forward. So we feel quite excited about those sort of regardless of where the market goes. We were discussing before, it's hard to you know, make a, a perfect call on the market. If the market goes up, those, those companies will do well. If the market goes down, because they're in an earnings upgrade cycle and they're high quality, they'll probably do better than a lot of other stuff. So that, that's sort of a good place to be positioned in, in technology. And technology, kind of the, the stocks we were shying away from are the ones that have no earnings support. So companies that are unprofitable, you know, there's the Goldman Sachs unprofitable tech index, which has gotten absolutely slammed in January. And <laughs> I didn't know that existed. <laughs> yeah, you, you should look at it. It's quite interesting because um, especially given some of the other podcasts that you've done about how to value stocks. The thing is, if there's there, there's a whole another way of thinking of valuation is well, where's the downside support? So, um, you know, like if you have a stock that has no earnings and it falls 20, 30, 40%, it will still have no earnings. So it's still not going to be at a PE where it's attractive to buy. Whereas, you know, one of the companies that we've invested in on the consumer side is Daimler, because we quite like the Mercedes-Benz brand name, and we also like their transition to EVs. But Daimler's trading at seven times PE. So if it falls 50%, of course you're going to buy Mercedes-Benz at three and a half times PE. So, you know, there's, <laughs> there's an earnings floor somewhere that you're not getting in some of the technology stocks. So in technology, we're, we're focused on high-quality companies that have good earnings. Uh, in consumer discretionary, consumer uh, is an interesting sector right now because you've seen lots of ups and downs through COVID. You had consumers being very wary at the beginning, and then you had the reopening plays, and you had the stimulus checks in the U.S. and elsewhere in the world. So I guess in consumer, we have different buckets. One is autos. This has nothing to do with where the, the market is going right now, but we think as a longer-term thematic the transition to EVs is really, really exciting. So companies like Tesla and then Daimler that I mentioned before are, are in that bucket. And then we have some more defensive companies. So these would be companies like McDonald's or Pepsi. And again, if you know if the U.S. economy goes starts going south or um, you know the market falls quite a lot, these are high quality defensive companies that will continue to show earnings leadership and have that you know significant valuation support. 
So we feel comfortable being in, in those stocks also. And then lastly, financials. It's obviously a very important sector globally and certainly a very important uh, sector in Australia. And financials, you have to do a lot of analysis to figure out what the interest rate sensitivity is. But there's a whole group of banks and financials in the world that are beneficiaries of rising rates. So from a portfolio construction perspective, they're a helpful thing to have in a portfolio when rates are going up because a lot of your other stocks may be going down quite a bit. So to have um, stocks in there that are beneficiaries of rising rates is really helpful to balance things out. Just speaking on the financial sector there, out of interest, what's your favourite Australian bank? I, I haven't looked at Australian banks for over a decade, so I, um, <laughs> okay. uh, I, I oh, don't God. have a good answer. I'll tell you who um, two Australian bank CEOs who I think are very, very impressive. One is Shamara at Macquarie. Because, um, I mean, she is just incredibly impressive. And I, as you mentioned at the beginning, we do have a sustainable global fund uh, at Alfinity. And remember, there was the COP26 meeting in, um, in Europe a few months ago. And a lot of CEOs from around the world went. And Shamara was one of those. So we had a call. She had a call with, with investors when she came back to talk about it. And I was just absolutely blown away. With, I mean, she's the CEO of a bank, so you would expect her to have expertise in, in everything related to financial and, and banking and everything that Macquarie does. But her depth and breadth of knowledge about sustainability issues and how that applies around the world and how that applies to different industries outside her, her industry, I was just absolutely blown away. So I, I'm not commenting on stocks here, just at a CEO level. <laughs> I think she's pretty impressive. And then, I mean, you may be able to see a little bias here, but I also thought that Gail Kelly was really impressive when she was at Westpac. And she, she made like a, a specific impact on me, on my career, because when I first moved to Australia, I was covering Australian banks, and I went to the small group lunch. So it was like a handful of investors, maybe five or six, and Gail and the IR person. And I was so nervous about this <laughs> that I, I overprepared. I had like three hours worth of questions ready, and then, you know, I asked my questions during the lunch, and it went okay. And she came up to me afterwards and she said, thank you so much for your questions. You were very prepared and those were very insightful. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but she, um, you know, I thought she was great because it takes a, a lot in a CEO to run a bank very successfully and, um, you know, produce those kinds of results, but also take the time to go to individual investors, especially if they're younger and maybe, you know, not far along in their career and be like, well done. <laughs> so anyways, I'd say those are my two favorite bank CEOs from the last the last 20 years, but I don't have a view on the stocks uh, specifically. So you mentioned high quality earnings with a lot of these companies as a way that you define how you're going to add uh, companies to your portfolio. Is this the main factor that helps you pick the shares that you're going to pick? Or is there a, you know, a different process for choosing some of these companies? So the Alfinity process is very, very well defined. We're looking for companies that have earnings leadership, and we call that, you know, momentum. So it means, you know, you, we're looking for beat and raise. So companies that they beat the earnings and then they raise their guidance and then they beat those, that guidance and they, they raise it again. And um, so that's the first thing that we're, we're looking for. And then the second thing is we're looking for high quality. And we actually have a lot of quantitative, um, you know, metrics that we look at to define high quality. So one of those is ROE, one of those is balance sheet, and then one of those are some metrics around cash flow. And I know you, you guys have done some episodes before that are looking at those uh, exact things in terms of ROE and, and balance sheet. So we're looking for high quality. And then the last thing we look for is valuation. So, you know, we, we are certainly not value investors. We are looking for, for high quality stocks with earnings leadership. But you also don't want to be paying 200 times PE for these kind of stocks. So we actually have th those three um, 
metrics go MQV, so that's momentum, quality, value, and we have a whole quantitative process that distills down what, uh, you know, looking at a whole universe, which companies have good MQV, and then from there, that's the stocks that we pick that go into the portfolio. As a retail investor, you're always hearing about new opportunities. And I know personally, I get very excited and I get quite a lot of FOMO about, you know, where I'm putting my money or where I'm not putting my money. Do you have any tips for us for how to, I guess, sort of differentiate from the noise and actually understand whether an industry or a potential stock has really good long-term potential? That's a great question. I would say a few things. One is when you're looking at an industry or a stock, um, I do some really basic like business school 101 type analysis. So like a SWOT analysis and a Porter's Five Forces analysis. Ah. And, you know, as you mentioned at the beginning, I went to Harvard for business school and these kind of like classic tools that Harvard developed, you know, in the 1980s or 90s, um, they're still actually quite helpful if you're new to an industry or new to a stock and you're just trying to figure out, you know, is this going to be a long-term investment, a good long-term investment? Because you're right, in the market, there are a lot of people that have FOMO. That's what a lot of these meme stocks are about. It's just, you know, pure FOMO. And so you need to have something that introduces like intellectual discipline into the way that you look at stocks. So I found that those two tools are quite helpful when you're looking at, at something new. I guess a second thing that's helpful is some sort of valuation discipline. Because yes, stocks can get, get a lot of hype behind them. And, you know, my husband likes to call it, you know, all sizzle and no steak. And you don't want to invite, you don't want to invest in, in companies that are all sizzle and no steak, because when the market starts to fall, you'll realize, oh, geez, there's not really anything here. <laughs> so some sort of valuation discipline, whether it's, um, you know, what PE you're paying, what peg you're paying. I don't know. I, I don't think you guys talked about peg ratios in your valuation episode, but peg is looking at the PE divided by the growth rate. So it just oh, makes okay. sure that if you have these um you know, companies that are very high growth, obviously their PE is going to be higher than a company that's not growing at all. But you need to have some sort of metric to make sure that you're not overpaying for that growth. So valuation discipline would be um, a third thing. And then, um, you know, you, you, you ask the question in terms of sometimes you're, you're, watching, you're watching stocks or something comes and it's new. I generally don't invest in things that are very new because they're, they're untested and you, you don't have a, a lot of history to, to know how they're going to behave in the market. So, you know, there's a saying about stocking stocks, and that, that's not a, it's not a bad strategy. Also, if there's something that you're interested in, then just watch it and watch it really, really closely and see how it does in good markets, see how it does on, on bad days, see how it does, um, you know, in different sort of seasonality issues. And then once you're comfortable with, with that stock and you've stocked it for a while, then, um, then you can go ahead and invest. I think it's good advice and something that Maddie and I definitely need to take on board because yeah. <laughs> it is very easy to get really caught up in what's in the news and what's happening. There's always so much information out there. It gets a bit overwhelming. Now, Mary, we're going to move into our final segment of today, which hopefully is a little bit fun. <laughs> so considering there is a lot of news at the moment about stocks, there is a lot of this noise. We thought we would play with you fad or future and list off some of the stocks which you think would either be a fad or a great long-term buy. So first stock, which I love, is Tesla. Oh, future. <laughs> I've actually done a lot of work on Tesla because, uh, as I mentioned before, we have these valuation metrics. And I think the story of Tesla is, is fantastic. And its sustainability credentials for sustainable funds are absolutely fantastic. The only pushback you get on Tesla is valuation. 
And so I've done a lot of work on the valuation. I'm very comfortable on, on where that is. The PE is actually, this sounds a bit weird, but under 100 times now. So uh, that's actually better than where it has been ever in its future. And a lot of Tesla's peers, uh, as we've discussed previously in the podcast, they don't make any money at all. In fact, most of their peer play peers are loss making. So um, for me, Tesla is definitely future. I was actually reading a Harvard Business Review report about Tesla, which was written a couple of years ago. And they were saying, I think Elon Musk put out that they were going to meet these certain targets in like a six year period and they met it all. And the article was quite like, you know, they wouldn't meet those targets because it was, you know, in the past. And then they met them all in one year. It was like sales and because they just exceeded expectation time and time again. Yeah, and Tesla, they're really knocking out of the park in terms of EV and EV deliveries, particularly in this kind of environment where there's still supply chain issues. And a lot of companies are struggling to even produce anything um, at, at scale. So Tesla's doing really well there. But there's also parts of Tesla that aren't EV related. To your point about whether it's future, like the full self-driving and um, getting to autonomous driving level four and potentially further than that later on, that's a really exciting part of Tesla. Um, what they're doing on the solar side is really exciting. And so as time goes by and, and all those pieces come together in the Tesla puzzle, I think it's definitely a stock for the future. The next one is Square, which is now otherwise referred to as Block. So this one, we are not invested in Square slash Block right now because it's in an earnings downgrade cycle. And so it's a very clear from the Alfinity process, you know, their earnings are going down. There's a lot of their, their apps, which were clear beneficiaries of COVID, which are now suffering from post-COVID issues. And so it's, it's not an earnings upgrade cycle, so we're not even really looking at it. I, if I had to choose, I'd probably say FAD. I find that interesting because we talked about financials before and how they would be a beneficiary of sort of what's going on at the moment. So financials, I should probably clarify. Financials, there's a lot of banks that are beneficiaries of rising rates, but that doesn't necessarily apply to fintech or to non-bank financials like stock exchange or asset managers. So banks are beneficiaries because obviously, um, depending on how their, their balance sheet is structured, when interest rates goes, go up, um, they don't necessarily have to pass those on to their depositors. So their net interest margins, certainly for a time, can go up and multiplied by their loan book, they, they make more money. But for some of these stocks that um, are either really high PE or they don't have that sort of deposit loan book aspect to their business model, they are, they are not beneficiaries of rising rates. I guess the other thing why I'm probably in the fad camp for Square and Block and a lot of buy now, pay later is because I did spend, you know, 10 15 years of my career just being a banks analyst. And um, there is so much analysis that goes into making good credit decisions. And you know, having, as you mentioned before, watched banks blow up around the world in the Asian crisis and the Russian crisis and the GFC, actually making good credit decisions and extending credit is a very, very difficult thing. And I think that in, in uh, BNPL, that sort of credit part of that is, is maybe not um, you know, the world doesn't know how the, how BNPL is going to act and, and how it's going to behave in sort of a big downturn. And the second thing is, you know, banks are very, very regulated. Everywhere in the world, banks are highly regulated. And BNPL has sort of had a free ride for the last few years because it's been unregulated. But I think the bigger they get and the more a more important part of the, the global financial system that they get to be, there's going to be regulation coming down and that's probably not going to be positive for their returns. The next one, which is interesting, changed its name as well, is Facebook, now known as Meta. Bad. I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that. And I'm going to qualify it by saying fad with bad ESG. So we actually <laughs> don't invest in Facebook 
partially because of the the earnings, but more because there are a lot of of ESG and governance issues at that company. And it's funny, it's funny that you mentioned the name change. Uh, you guys probably wouldn't know this movie, but you can look it up after. There was a movie many years ago called Wag the Dog, and it was about this this guy uh, who was a the president of the United States, and he got into some some trouble in his personal life, and he didn't want people to focus on that, so he started this fake war in another country so that everybody would focus on that. And we were talking at work that Facebook changing its name to Meta is kind of like Wag the Dog strategy because they were facing all these issues. You probably listened to the podcast, the Facebook Files which were, were totally damning in terms of their, their internal procedures. And, you know, there's all this stuff coming out about antitrust and governance at Facebook. And then all of a sudden they do this 180 and they change their name and are talking about the metaverse. And it worked for a while, to be honest, that the stock started going up and then people remembered, hang on a second, there's actually huge problems at Facebook. So that is probably a bit harsh, but I certainly don't think it's, it's the future. I think that the metaverse is quite interesting at a thematic level. Uh, but it's unclear who are going to be the winners there, and it's unclear whether the metaverse is actually going to be profitable. It might be interesting, but is it going to be a very profitable thing for companies to get into? So I would say fad with bad ESG. Very interesting. The next one, speaking on ESG, has been pretty topical in Australia at the moment. BHP and Fortescue and the likes dominate the ASX. So I'm keen to hear what your thoughts are, fad or future? Because I know there's sort of cha- there's a lot of PR at the moment about how they're really transforming their businesses for the long term. Yeah, so I should say that I don't cover um, Australian stocks, so I don't have a specific view on on BHP. Uh, I have spoken to the domestic team at Alfinity, and they they quite like BHP uh, from a fundamental perspective because a lot of the commodities that they're in, um, you know, the spot prices are are quite a bit higher than where uh, you know the, the earnings forecast has suggested. So that means that there's earnings upgrades in the stock, and that's what Alfinity is looking for. And then, um, you know, we do have a sustainable fund for global and we have also a, a, a domestic sustainable fund. And some of the strategic initiatives that, that BHP has started um, are very positive in terms of moving towards um, carbon neutrality. And they quite like the strategy that BHP has taken there. So I would say um, from their perspective, what, what I've, I've learned is that BHP is future. Good to know. And our last one, I'm going to lead with Disney but also Netflix, kind of same industry. But I want to know about Disney a little bit more. <laughs> I, I'm sorry to sit on the fence, but I'm going to say neither. I think these are stocks that are struggling to find their way in a post-COVID, um, in post-COVID era. So obviously, you know, Netflix has over 200 million subscribers. Disney is a brand name, which every single uh, you know, kid in, in, not every single kid, a lot of kids uh, know. And there's no way that these are these are fads, right? You're not going to lose 200 million subscribers, and the the content that Netflix has, has built up that's definitely not a fadish. Um, and and the same with Disney. It's people like to think about the streaming wars is now what's getting a lot of attention for Disney, but they still do have theme parks and they have a lot of other parts for their business which have been there for decades and they're they're not going away. So I would say that neither of those two stocks are fads, but are they future? Is the is the tricky <laughs> is the tricky part? I think that. You know, the streaming wars are, are real. And um, I think part of the, the, the issue with Netflix and why the stock reacted so violently to earnings, the earnings were actually good. The reason the stock reacted so badly was because their subscriber growth forecast was a lot lower than people were expecting. So I think for a lot of these stocks, it's are there streaming wars going on? And are, is there a max penetration that these, these streaming companies have met in developed markets? And are they going to be able to continue to grow um, by accessing 
developing markets or by increasing their prices in markets where they've already reached saturation. And I don't actually know the, the answer to those questions. <laughs> so I would say definitely not fad, but there's a question mark over whether they're the future. I read a really interesting article the other day about how Disney was sort of moving into the metaverse and working with different gaming companies to build their theme parks in the metaverse. That had me very interested, I have to say, because you do feel like, you know, there's so much focus, like you said, on the streaming walls at the moment, but Disney has a lot more going for it, whereas Netflix is just a streaming company. I'm not sure how the metaverse is going to play out, though, because I feel like if Facebook hadn't been trying to wag the dog, they would have picked a totally different time to get into the metaverse, because really everybody is sick of being online. Everybody in the world is like desperate so to get out there and deal with real people. Nobody wants to have their avatar go to, you know, Disneyland. It's like two years too late. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like maybe in the longer term, but in the very short term, some of these some of these metaverse plays, um, you know, they're they're not going to be profitable or they're they're not going to um, going to take off. I think from a business model perspective, you know, Netflix is getting into gaming because gaming is another really important part of the metaverse. We own NVIDIA, which makes the GPUs for gaming, and it is, is generally considered one of the biggest metaverse um, beneficiaries because if everybody's on the metaverse and you need that sort of GPU to participate in the metaverse, it's going to be better. So you have those, those kinds of companies, but um, you know whether, whether Disney is going to be successful in that, yeah, again, it's, there's a question mark there. So I wouldn't, if you're looking at Disney or, or Netflix, um, or any of these sort of metaverse stocks. Um, I always like to say you need to be comfortable in the cake. And then if there's icing on top, then then fantastic. But I think for Disney and Netflix, you need to be comfortable in the cake of their core businesses. And then if they do something in the metaverse, which adds, which is icing on the cake, then fantastic. But you can't buy a stock for the icing because that's when you can get into trouble. We love a food analogy here at Good <laughs> Company. <laughs> Mary, I have one final question for you before we let you go. What piece of advice would you give to someone starting out on their investing journey? So I would say, first of all, congratulations for starting on your investing journey. That first step is absolutely the most important, um, the most important part. And as we discussed before, the sooner you can get into investing, the better off you are because you have much more time to, to learn lessons. So I would say try to figure out early on what kind of investor you are. Because there's lots of different styles out there. There's growth, there's value, there's dividend, there's, you know, unprofitable tech, lots of different things. And the sooner you can figure out what kind of investor you are. So, um, you know, whether it's earnings leadership like Alfinity, that's the kind of investor that I am. And I like stocks that are growth and I like technology stocks and I know that um, it makes it uh, easier for you to go on your investing journey. Because like you guys mentioned with how much social media there is and there's, especially in global, there's tens of thousands of stocks to look at and you need some sort of filter to make sure that you're looking at the stocks that are going to give you a good return and that these are the kind of stocks you like to invest in. So the sooner that people can figure out what their filter is, um, I think the better off they'll be long term. Mary, I think that is incredible advice. I love that you said congratulations because it really is the hardest step starting out. But thank you so much for joining us today on Your Ingle Company. We've absolutely loved this chat. Before we go, did you have anything that you wanted to plug? If anyone wanted to, you know, get to know more about Alfinity? Absolutely. So um, feel free to contact me on, on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to, to chat with, with investors. Uh, if you want to know more about Alfinity, please go to our website at alfinity.com.au. It has all our funds there and you can learn more about the firm. Uh, but lastly, I just want to say congratulations to you because you guys have had an amazing podcast. I listened to your podcast and I think I remember when you first started and there was the article in the AFR 
And I thought, wow, these women are really onto something. I wish there had been, uh, you know, when, when I was at your age, I wish there had been something that I could listen to that was similar. And I told my daughter that I was coming on your, your podcast this morning. And I said, when you get home, you're listening to these <laughs> women because they're amazing. So I think the fact that what you're doing is, is applicable to so many different, different people is fantastic. So congratulations to you guys on a great podcast. Thanks, Mary. Thank you. Very sweet. You're in Good Company is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of You're in Good Company are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Your In Good Company acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.